Hello, my name is Edward Jesse with International Sports Management, and today we get to sit and spend some time with Steve Sands of the Golf Channel. As many of you know, Steve has been the lead interviewer on the Golf Channel, performing over a thousand interviews over the last three decades with some of the biggest names in golf, from Palmer and Nicholas to Phil and Tiger to Rory and Kepka and all in between. He's interviewed most all of them. He's also covered the last three Olympic Games, and as a D.C. native, he, like many of us, eagerly awaits the return of live sports. So that said, Steve, thanks for spending some time with us today and taking the time to chat. My pleasure, Ed. Uh, to start off, you've done over a thousand interviews in your career. Uh, we're curious, which one stands out as the most surprising that you did and why? You know, one of the coolest things I think that I've ever been a part of, which was just so lucky, it was years ago at Doral outside of Miami, and Tiger was playing in a World Golf Championship event there, and Roger Federer was following his practice round because Roger was down there in the Miami area playing in a tennis tournament. So at the same time, you had the number one player in the world in golf and the number one player in the world in tennis, the two individual sports that dominate the world. And they're the two best at what they do and arguably the two greatest of all time at what they do. And I went to interview Tiger after the round, and and I just kind of instinctively just said to Roger, hey, would you like to join us? And he said, sure. So all of a sudden this regular, if you will, in quotations, regular interview with Tiger turned into this back and forth with literally the two most dominant individual sport athletes of their era. And it just ended up being incredible to listen to the two of them talk about one another, about each other's craft, which one was more difficult, uh, giving each other the needle a little bit. It was, uh, it was just a wild moment. That, that sounds amazing. Um, in your opinion, who made for the most challenging interview that you've done? Oh, there have been a few over the years. You know, the, the hardest thing to do, I think, Ed, in our business is when you have to interview an athlete who has just lost, um, who's just had his or her heart broken or his or her heart ripped out, um, you know, in a sports sense. And, you know, there were there have been a few of them that I can remember off the top of my head at the Valspar Championship years ago with Ernie Els, um, who had a really good chance to win and couldn't. Uh, I remember doing an interview with Ernie one time after Phil Mickelson won the Masters in 2004. Ernie played so great. He's such a great guy. Um, everybody loves Ernie. Everybody loves watching him play. Um, and that was a very difficult thing to talk to him uh, after he had just lost uh, the Masters. Very happy for Phil that he won. But in the moment with Ernie, that was a difficult one. Um, also, speaking of Phil Mickelson, when Phil lost to Henrik Stenson in 2016 at Royal Troon at the Open Championship, he played so great, but Henrik played just a little bit better and ended up winning, and that was a heartbreaking thing for Phil Mickelson, and I had to interview him there. Also, um, at a couple of other U.S. Opens with Mickelson, uh, having conversations with him as a six-time runner-up of the U.S. Open. Um, you know, some losses are worse than others, Ed, when you really are in the moment and you think you're going to win and you don't, those are the hardest ones. To get blown out is one thing. To lose in heartbreaking fashion is another. 
Um, so that's when it's most difficult to interview athletes. Makes sense to me. And it, staying with golf, what do you envision as the best path forward to resuming uh, tournament play currently? Oh, I think testing, safety precautions, uh, confidence in the players and the caddies and the tour officials and the club that's going to host and uh, the people in the community and the businesses opening up and, you know, the availability for the guys to be able to travel, to be able to stay in hotels, to be able to grab something to eat, um, just to have the confidence that everything that the tour is doing and everything that the players are doing is with safety in mind and also the competition uh, in mind. So I think as long as people are tested and as long as people are careful and sports opens up responsibly, I'm completely a hundred percent all for it. All right. And who do you think wins the first major this year? If we see the PGA championship go in August? Well, I know Rory McIlroy is the number one player in the world, and I know that he's also won before at Harding Park. So it would be awfully tough to bet against McIlroy at Harding Park, considering his success there in the past and also the fact that he currently is the best player in the world. So I'd go with Rory. Maybe it will be the same answer, but regarding player of the year, do you feel like the downtime favors players like Fowler and Spieth to get back to their prime, or is this better for the likes of – Kepka and JT? Such a great question. I, I, I'm fascinated to see how the guys come back. Um, you know, professional athletes, Ed, are just like me and you and everybody else, you know, who, who has a, a job and a routine. Um, to take yourself out of your routine the way these guys have been taken out of theirs, for them to come back and be in rhythm is going to be very difficult. I think we're going to see some rust from some of these guys uh, from a competitive standpoint. And I think the cream will rise to the top. I think the better players will be able to fight through it. I think the mentally tough players will be able to fight through it. Um, and you use four names as an example, Brooks, Justin Thomas, Ricky Fowler, Jordan Speed. Those guys are tremendous players, and they also are smart players, and they're also mentally tough. So I think that you know those four, uh, in particular, with some other big names, uh, I think will be just fine once everything gets going. Once we start moving ahead with the new schedule, do you think there's any perceived benefits for the players or, or the viewers with the change-up? Uh, I think the benefit for the viewers will be that things will be in a, such a truncated schedule. You know, you're going to have three majors – um, a couple of World Golf Championship events, um, and also all the other PGA Tour events in just a short time frame, and the FedEx Cup playoffs uh, will be going on in late August uh, and early September. I think that with all of those events going on from middle of June to middle of November, I think the viewer and the sports fan will benefit greatly, and I also think the players will benefit in this sense. Like a wild card team in the NFL sneaking into the playoffs with a late win, they can get on a run and go all the way to the Super Bowl. Well, if you get hot in golf in this particular calendar year, then you have a chance to win a bunch of events in a hurry because 
the fields are going to be stacked because the guys haven't played in so long. If one of these great players gets hot, I could see them winning a bunch of events. Golf included. Do you feel there are any sports that would be easier to play in the absence of fans? Probably golf um, and maybe NASCAR, I guess, um, because you don't feed off the energy of the crowd in NASCAR like you do in the other sports. Um, I know horse racing is going to come back. Um, you know, I don't know if they necessarily need to have the fans there um, as far as seeing if the product is going to change at all outside of it just being bizarre that it's quiet. Um, but probably if I had to take a guess, I would say NASCAR. I mean, football, basketball, baseball, hockey, it's going to be really bizarre without fans. And golf will be, you know, bizarre without that energy as well. Even though it, you don't think of it as the same as, say, a college football game or a college basketball game, you know, a Stanley Cup playoff game, the crowd gets loud and energetic at golf tournaments. And that kind of palpable noise that's always going on uh, is something that keeps guys focused and in rhythm. Um, it'll be interesting to see how golf plays out. Uh, as far as it goes without fans. But if I had to guess, Ed, I would say NASCAR probably can do it without fans uh, the most as far as not having it change what the product is like. And with the Masters being flipped this year from the first major to the last, is there anything that you feel like excites you about it being played two weeks before Thanksgiving? Well, it's the first time people are probably going to see Augusta National in November little fall foliage, uh, the azaleas won't be, you know, bright and blooming that time of year most likely. Uh, the golf course will play a lot different than it does in April. Um, and it'll be a little cooler most likely depending on what Mother Nature has to offer. You would think it'd be cooler in November than it would be in April in Augusta. Um, but I think just the way it looks, it's going to look different. It's also a much different time of year for sports fans. So I, I think the excitement of going back to Augusta National in November is going to be awesome. And if they do end up playing it in November, which hopefully they will, you're talking about having two Masters in a five-month span. That's going to be awesome. As far as majors go, is there a certain course you'd like to see host a major that's never played host before? Oh, man. Um, yeah, a couple of, you know, gems like we were just at Seminole uh for the tailor-made you know driving you know relief and that was a you know Seminole Golf Club is a ridiculously great place world-class facility amazing venue uh the people are terrific there Bob Ford the head professional Jimmy Dunn the president uh that's an amazing place Cypress Point is an amazing place out in California uh Pine Valley these places are never going to host majors <laughs> but a golfer, a, a golf fan, and a sports fan can certainly dream of it. And then as far as Seminole goes, you were just there last weekend. Uh, what was it like covering the TaylorMade driving relief? It was great. It was uh, it was so cool to be, see the guys again, uh, see them compete. Um, McElroy, Dustin Johnson, Ricky Fowler, Matt Wolf, a budding star on the PGA Tour. Um, was it a little odd with no fans? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, but once the guys got into a groove and once they uh, started, you know, competing towards the end for all the money that was on the line for such a great cause and causes uh, for COVID-19 relief, 
they started getting more and more competitive. The juices started flowing. They got a little nervous. They got the energy up. Um, I thought it was a really great day. It was a, it was a great day for the game uh, and a terrific day uh, as well for the for the amount of money that was raised for charity. It was terrific all around. And regarding COVID-19 and as we look at sports, without a vaccine, do you feel there is a reasonable and safe way to resume sports from a spectator standpoint? And how do you feel that would look like for the preeminent college sport, fall football? Yeah, it's going to be tough. Um, if you don't have widespread testing and you don't have the confidence of the public to want to gather in those large numbers, and if you want to talk specifically about college, you know, college needs to get in session before football can happen. So we all went to college and know what a dorm situation is like for freshmen. That's like a Petri dish, you know, for all those kids in there. Um, who knows if colleges will even have regular classes in the fall. And if they're only online and they're not on campus, I'm not sure how the rules work, but it doesn't sound like football will be able to be played just yet until college is back in full session, but, you know, I think testing um, and, and knowing what's out there and the safety precautions and following the CDC guidelines, uh, I, I think fans will come back. Uh, believe me, if they're playing football in Tuscaloosa in September, the fans are going to show up if they're allowed. I know there's been some talk on, as you mentioned, campuses being closed to physical classes. There's also been talk about persisting with the college football season in the fall. What are your thoughts on college athletes returning to train if campuses are closed to physical classes? Yeah, I don't think they can do that. I, I can't imagine. If you're going to call them student-athletes, uh, we all know, you know, that's, you know, who knows, you know, how every school does it as far as their high-level student-athletes. But let's face it, they are not regular students. However, if you're not going to have classes in session, if you're not going to have other kids staying on campus in dorms, resuming their normal college life, I don't know how you can go about letting the college football players uh, be able to have their deal and do their thing and not let the other kids in school. I know there's a lot of money on the line, and that's how schools, uh, you know, basically earn their stripes financially and academically as far as getting the word out there as far as their university or their school. But, man, if you're going to make it equal to other students, which they're supposed to, then I don't know how you would have no students on campus except for the athletes. That seems like a tough spot. As far as professional or collegiate athletes getting tested for COVID-19, do you feel like there's a, a valid argument for those tests to happen if it means restarting either various leagues or college seasons, even if all the ordinary citizens that want testing can't get it. Yeah, it's a tough one. We were talking about that last weekend at Seminole. You know, you don't want to take away from the greater good of the public, uh, but you also need to make sure that life moves forward. So, you know, that's a difficult balance that, that everyone's going to have to take. I mean, the PGA Tour players and caddies and officials and administrators are going to be tested in Fort Worth uh, before they go and play the Charles Schwab Challenge uh, on the PGA Tour in the middle of June. 
is that going to be taking away testing from locals in the area who need it? You sure would like to think that it would not. Now, I have no idea how it's all going to work and play out, but I know sports does not want to take away from a public health issue. Uh, so they're going to do their best to make sure that they work with the local communities so that that, so that that doesn't happen. And then as far as college goes, you've mentioned before that you're a huge Terps fan and college hoops fan. So yeah. as a basketball fan, if you had to pick five players to make up your college dream team for all time, who would they be? Ooh. Oh, man, college basketball? I'll take uh, Len Bias. I'll take uh, Michael Jordan, take uh, Lou Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, probably Bill Walton, and Magic Johnson. That would be a heck of a team. Had, had to throw Len Bias in there because he's a Maryland Terrapin. Right. With the NBA, which actual existing team throughout history would you pick as your all time top team for a single season? Well, since we all just watched The Last Dance, um, I thought the Warriors team from a couple of years ago was the greatest team I ever saw and never thought that they would lose if they were actually focused for 82 straight games. Uh, they went on to win the title, um, and they were just incredible to watch with incredible versatility. But after watching The Last Dance, you know, seeing the Bulls, and that run, I would love to see – it's hard because it's different eras, but that Bulls team that won 70-plus games and that Warriors team that won 70-plus games, I think the athletes are better now than they were a generation ago. So I would say probably that Warriors team that won 70-plus games, but, man, watching Jordan just never allowing his team to lose – during that run, I don't know. It'd be awfully tough to go away from that Bulls squad that won 72 games, I think. As far as international sports, meaning non-traditional U.S. sports, is there anyone that you'd like to see make more headway here in the States? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, you know, you've got Formula One, you've got soccer, you know, the English Premier League and the other leagues. Um, there's cricket over in Europe. Uh, that's massive. Um, you know, if I if if I was going to pick one that would maybe make some headway, it'd be soccer, just because it's such a huge kid sport. And if kids stuck with it, perhaps they would end up being professionals. You know, like those guys uh, who play elsewhere around the world. And the MLS is good, but it's not the English Premier League. So uh, I would probably say. Soccer has the biggest chance to make the biggest impact of any of the sports in this country that are not, you know, regularly thought of by the masses. On to some non-sports questions. As a reporter and the lack of live sports to cover right now, what do your days look like? Groundhog Day. Uh, you know, not much. It's uh, without live sports. We're kind of stuck. You know, if you, if you do sports for a living and there are no live sports, you're in a bad spot. So, you know, try to work out, you know, five, six times a week. Um, maybe take a day or two off, uh, ride the Peloton or whatever. Um, 
walk the dog, uh, go to the grocery store. I love to cook, so I cook a lot of dinner. Um, but I also want to support the local restaurants and take and get some takeout because they're they're in need of some support more than ever right now uh, during this pandemic. Um, watch a lot of shows. Caught up on a lot of shows, man. I mean, I've watched a lot of documentaries. I've been ripping through a lot of shows uh, on Netflix and Amazon Prime and Showtime On Demand and, um, you know, catching up on the news every once in a while. And every once in a while I'll catch an old ball game where I don't forget the ending because I know the score. I know I know who wins, but I don't know the score. I don't know exactly how it finished. Uh, so every once in a while I'll bore myself and watch an old uh, rerun of a game. But for the most part, it's uh, eating, drinking, and watching TV. It's not a lot. Well, as far as TV goes, is there anything you are or have been binge-watching that's been great right now? Oh, oh man, I finished Ozark Season 3. That was great. Uh, watching Billions, that's great. Uh, I watched a couple of really good documentaries. Uh, one was on Waco. Uh, remember the Branch Davidians? Uh, that was a really interesting documentary. Uh, I've watched a couple of shows. Um, like I've, I've ripped through Homeland. Um, I ripped through uh, Designated Survivor. Uh, watched Hunters. Um, you know, and then some other documentaries uh, that have been really good. Uh, it's been, you know, a lot, a lot of binge watching. My television must be so sick of me right now. <laughs> also, I mean, I'm sure you stayed in touch with a lot of players and, and other folks. What would you say is the most funny or interesting way you've heard that players are staying active right now? Um, you know, a lot of guys who weren't able to, like, go into the gym and didn't have a home gym, you know, they've been kind of, you know, jumping in the ocean and swimming, which they never have. Um, I think a lot of guys are stretching more and doing home exercises, even though they don't have machines or bikes in their house. I think a lot of guys ordered uh, Pelotons who never had them before uh, because it's an easy way to do it. Uh, you know, before things started opening up like gyms, it was hard to keep in shape if you're a professional athlete. So there's a variety of ways for them to do it. But I think now that things are starting to slowly open up a little bit, it's going to, it's going to alter the way they go, you know, way they go about their business and they can get back to doing what they usually do. As far as the Olympics go, you've covered the last three. What has been your favorite Olympic moment that you've experienced thus far? Oh man, there's, there's a few. I, I, in Sochi in 2014, um, watching um, a Russian speed skater in Russia win a medal uh, with the fans going absolutely crazy. Uh, that was amazing. Uh, the, the U.S. women in speed skating in 2018 in Pyeongchang, South Korea, won a medal. It was the first time that the Americans had medaled in years uh, on the women's side in uh, speed skating. That was thrilling uh, just from an American standpoint and a television standpoint for us on NBC. Um, you know, the reaction of the golfers uh, from Justin Rose and Henrik Stenson going gold, silver, 
in Rio, and then the women, um, watching the women, you know, come down the stretch, uh, trying to win a medal. Uh, you get an understanding, Ed, that elsewhere in the world, outside the United States, winning a gold medal is the highest honor, the biggest thing you can do in sports. In America, you want to win the majors in golf or the grand slams in tennis. You want to win, you know, a team championship in whatever league you're playing in, uh, in a team sport. But around the world, gold medals, silver medals, bronze medals, uh, they mean everything to those people, even though they're professional athletes. Uh, it was pretty cool to see um, you know, an amateur from Russia win a medal in Russia in front of the home crowd. Same thing in South Korea, in Pyeongchang, in speed skating. Um, it's just the, the energy of the Olympics is unmatched. It's, it's an amazing event. Well, it's, it's certainly fun to watch, and looking forward to hopefully seeing it next year with Tokyo. Um, as far as the summer games go, how do you feel about the Olympic golf format, and do you feel it would be improved if it was changed to match play? Uh, I do think match play would be better, but that's really tough for the the television, the entertainment value of it because of timing. You know, match play can end very quickly, and if it ends very quickly and messes up all the, the TV times and those kinds of things, it's also more random. Four days stroke play – you know, you can have a bit of a hiccup and bounce back from it. You cannot have a hiccup and play poorly in match play and recover uh, because it'll be over too quickly. So do I think match play will be more exciting? Yes. But, you know, understanding the landscape of the game and the entertainment value and television, it'd be, it'd be awfully tough to change it. But I think golf being back in the Olympics was a home run. I wasn't sure about it. Uh, and then we saw it on the men's and women's side. Uh, the men and women were really into it. It was exciting. And uh, I'm glad it's back. Can't wait for Tokyo in 21. It's a shame that it's not being played uh, later this summer. I agree. And a couple more questions. You've been a lifetime Redskins fan, and with their new head coach at the helm, yeah. what, what are the chances for a Super Bowl this year? Uh, zero. But. We're, uh, you know, hopefully going to see a, an improvement. They were three and thirteen last year. Um, Ron Rivera is a good coach. Uh, Kyle Smith is a good player personnel guy. Uh, but there's no chance we'll be playing in late January and February uh, as long as the schedule uh, goes on time. The skins, they're not good enough just yet. All right. Well, thanks for the honesty. And then. If you were sitting on college game day with Lee Corso and had the chance to pick the headgear for the winner of the featured game that day, whose yeah. headgear would you be wearing? Oh, I'd want to. I'd want to wear, um, you know, a Maryland Terrapin gear. Um, but I, there's something about Corso when he puts on the Buckeye and does that wave that he always does whenever he picks Ohio State. Uh, he puts that Buckeye on his head, and he always has the wave every week. I don't know what it is about that wave, that Buckeye that makes me giggle. Um, I don't know why it does that, but it, it's just awesome when he picks Ohio State to win a game and he puts that you know, Brutus the Buckeye uh, thing over his head. It's pretty cool. It always makes me laugh. It's one of my favorite segments in all of sports television. It's fantastic. 
I agree. I'd probably go with the Oregon Ducks, but Brutus the Buckeye is pretty like darn when, funny I, when he puts it on. I like it when they go to Eugene. I like it when he puts on the duck. Um, that Corso's a beauty, man. It's just a, He's an American treasure. It's good stuff. Well, Mr. Steve Sands, thanks again for the time today. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing you regularly back on television as golf cranks back up. And wish you all the best in the meantime. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, bud. Absolutely.